Hey, talking into the mic again for once. I've gotten very lazy about this. I just talk into my phone even when I'm at home. And it's it's funny how the medium really changes the way you think and the way you talk. Where if you are talking into a microphone, it changes, I mean, it definitely changes the way I talk. It changes the way I freaking sound. And, uh, you know, today, it was a good example today. I talk about this sometimes, where there are days where just you can tell something is not aligned, and you can tell simply from the way people are driving, and the way people's bodies are moving. And it was one of those days where I was driving down the street, driving down the street. And it was like the very first car I interacted with. It was one of those people who, you know, you have a green light and you're trying to turn left, but you don't have an arrow. So you have to wait for the cars who are coming to go first. We all know how that works. And it's it always sucks though when you're you're in the middle of the intersection. This is just the most boring story in the world, but like you're in the middle of the intersection and you're waiting for that one car to go so that you can go, but they're going very slowly. They don't have their turn signal on. They take the turn as slowly as possible, and it's just agonizing. And you see the person. You actually see the person, in this case, who was a very large woman. And they just look so empty and stupid in that moment. And I notice this a lot with people driving, and I always make it a point whether I'm walking or driving to look at people. Like There's this little thing I do where if if I'm behind somebody and they're driving very, very slow, way under the speed limit, way slower than the flow of traffic, and they should know better. Like like, when I find myself doing that, because everybody's going to make mistakes, everybody's going to do this some of the time. But when I'm driving down a street and I don't, let's say I'm going 25 and I don't realize that the the speed limit changed to 35, something feels wrong. Like you get this sense that something's wrong. Like roads feel like their speed limit. Like a 40 mile per hour road feels like a 40 mile per hour road most of the time. And so when you are that person who's going way under the speed limit, If you're paying any attention at all, if you're listening to your intuition at all, you feel like you're not doing something right. It's almost like driving without your headlights, although that's usually a little more obvious. And that, as I've said before, that's the scariest thing in the world to me. The emptiness inside of that person, not even the fact that it's dangerous that, oh, oh, there might be a car there, but I can't see because they don't have their lights on. You know, like that's scary on a practical level. Like I can't see you coming. But why I consider people who drive at night with their headlights off so scary, especially if they're not drunk or high, is the level of emptiness. They're just a ghost ship. They're a ghost ship just floating through the sea. The wind's just carrying them back and forth. And I told this story before because my friend and I were driving in the mountains of Canada in British Columbia, and there were a lot of cars on the highway. It was near this resort town. And, you know, I went into this before, but I'll never forget it. <laughs> and there was this one car with its headlights off, I think maybe like a Jeep Cherokee. It kind of had a, that Jeep. All we could see was a silhouette because they didn't have their lights. 
but it had the silhouette of a Jeep Cherokee. You ever heard of that? The silhouette of a Jeep Cherokee. And the only reason we knew it was there is because like we would see this shape eclipse other cars' headlights. And they were just kind of going from lane to lane for a while behind us. And we just kept looking back and we were just like, that's terrifying. It's like we're being followed by this ghost ship. And the fact that that person doesn't know their headlights are off and it's night. That level of emptiness. But that's kind of what I see, you know, even though I can't see in those cars. Because their headlights are off and it's nighttime, I can't see the driver, but I can imagine them. I can feel the emptiness. I can feel the void. But during the day when somebody is just driving... uh, when they're clearly not aware of their surroundings, it's very similar. And this woman looked like that to me. And what I was going to say is I always make it a point to look at those people, not in a, uh, not in, in a way that they'll know I'm looking at them, not in a way like I'm trying to antagonize them. I just glance over because I want to see what they look, not what they look like, like as a person, I want to see the look on their face. And it's always very empty and stupid. Not that they have low intelligence, but as if their brain is shut off in that moment. And this woman today, and this is just the start of my story. It's not going to go on too long, I promise. But she just she wasn't aware of the fact that I had to wait for her to turn and that the green light's going to turn red and I'm going to be stuck in the intersection. And she just took the turn very slowly, and then she turned onto a, a 40-mile-an-hour road that feels like... I mean, the the road down the street from my house, the main road, I believe it's a 40-mile-an-hour road, but it feels like a 50-mile-an-hour road. You ever been on one of those? It's a 40-mile-an-hour road, but it feels like a 50. Feels like a 50. And so this woman was going like 25 miles an hour. And I was behind her and I was like, God, I got to Because I hate passing people. Like if I'm behind somebody and they're going the exact speed limit, I don't tailgate. I think tailgating doesn't get enough. Uh, I mean, you should go to jail for tailgating. So I don't tailgate people. But if someone's going the speed limit, I don't, I don't try to like rush them or do anything. Sometimes I don't even pass them. I just go, you know what? It feels kind of good just to go the speed limit behind somebody for a little bit. I'm, in a, I'm not in a rush. What am I in a rush for? If I'm not on my way to an appointment or, or some kind of obligation, what am I in a rush for? But if they're going below the speed limit, I'll pass, and I hate to pass. I always It makes me feel like an asshole, even though I'm not. And so as I passed this woman, I looked at her, and, you know, this is going to get, this is going to be mean, this is going to be very mean, but I'm not getting my, my wrong speech sensor isn't going off. Interestingly, I don't feel like I'm about to violate the Buddhist precept of wrong speech that I was talking about last night, even though this is going to sound very cruel and mean, but there's something about obese people driving. Like you'd think that driving would be an equal playing field. And it's weird that sometimes like you'll be, you'll deal with, and I'm talking obese here. I'm not talking about chubby people. I mean, I have fat credibility. I spent 20, 21 years of my life fat on the fat side of fat, not obese, but I was a fat boy, a fat boy. 
So I have fat credibility. Um, just have to give that disclaimer sometimes. I know what it is to be fat. And I don't hate fat people. I don't judge fat people. But I notice things. And I notice that obese people driving, like you'd think that it would be an even playing field, that we are all in these mechs. M-E-C-H-S. We're all in these like mechanized robots. We're controlling these robots. But I noticed that obese people drive like obese people. And maybe I don't notice all the obese people who are amazing drivers. I bet there's a ton of them. And I just, this is a negativity bias thing. But I noticed like that they drive lazy. And they don't seem like they're all there. Like I said, this is a cruel and mean observation. But I've noticed it. And this woman was a good example where she, it just seemed like she was driving the way she looked. And so I went around her and, you know, that was that out of my life, out of my life, out of my hair. And, uh, anyway, uh, then I, I, you know, I went to the, the post office and as I was pulling in, I very narrowly avoided being hit head on. Because a car was driving the wrong way. They were, they were driving the wrong way down the street in the parking lot. But still, I mean, the parking lot's still, it's still the road, baby. Just because we're in a parking lot, you know, yes, yeah, some of the rules loosen up a little bit. But it's still the road. We're still driving. This isn't a demolition derby all of a sudden because we pulled into a strip mall parking lot. And so this car was driving the wrong way down the street exactly where I was going. And what's weird, though, is like I hit the brakes and they just, they were, and you know where they were going? I think they were maybe leaving Burger King, but uh, I think they were maybe leaving Burger King. But uh, as they pulled by, like they, they had a bunch of people in the car and it just it just looked dirty and gross inside that car. And it seemed like they deliberately slowed down and just like stared me down after they almost hit me when they were like, they looked at me like I was the one doing something wrong. But you know what? There was such a void. Again, there was this emptiness that I'm talking about. There was this void that I sensed from them. And even though I thought they were staring me down, they might have just been looking at me like slack jawed idiots with no thoughts in their head at all. Because that's how they were driving. And so I narrowly, narrowly avoided that. And then uh, a cop was in the parking lot. And I almost, you know, the, the, the silly part of me almost went up to the cop and was like, you should, you should follow that guy. He was just driving the wrong way down the street. How the cop didn't see it, I don't know. Do cops not enforce the law in parking lots? Because I've heard that before, that if you get in a fender bender in a, a store parking lot, the cops can't do anything about it because it's private property. That doesn't make any sense to me, though, if that's true. I've heard that before. I was told that. I'm just filled with anecdotal knowledge. I was told, though, if you get in a fender bender in a store parking lot, the cops can't do anything about it. You just have to get the person's information yourself or something uh, because it's private property. But, like, that doesn't apply to your house. Like, if you beat your wife and someone calls the cops, like, they don't say, oh, it's private property. 
our jurisdiction doesn't apply there. So I don't understand this parking lot rumor. I think it's true, though. I have heard this multiple times, this, this rumor. I'll still call it a rumor. Don't take it from me as, as the word of law. And I am talking about law here. But uh, I almost went up to this cop, though, and I was like, didn't you just see that guy? Like, you, you, you had to have seen that guy. But you know what? The amount of emptiness cops must see in people every day, it must just be unimaginable. They must be so desensitized to what I'm talking about here. Cops must see so many people who are just a living void that they just don't even think about it. But I, I seriously almost like told him to roll down his window and was like, that car just was driving the wrong way down the street. And then when I hit my brakes, they slowed down and just like crept past me in this really weird way. Doesn't that seems like, you know, it doesn't seem like you're doing much. Maybe just keep an eye on them for a minute. Something's not right there, but I didn't do it. I'm not a snitch. I had stuff to do. And, uh, that that was the whole day though you know it was it was just it's one of those days where i was checking my rearview mirror to make sure the person behind me wasn't going to do anything stupid i was watching the car in front of me to make sure they didn't like suddenly stop or swerve or do something weird i was checking the cars beside me cuz there was a truck a huge truck just driving over the line like every single car i interacted with on this short drive was a problem. And I know I bring this up on here, like there are days like that. It's the days where you feel like you hit every red light. It's it's the days where like girl when girls used to say, fuck my life, fuck my life. It's days like that where it's the days that make people say that. Where it just seems like everything is a roadblock, everything is an obstacle. For me, it was only this drive but every single thing that happened on this drive was that. It was dissonant. It was against the grain. It didn't ruin my day. It actually I, it gave me this giddy sense of excitement. Because now when this happens, instead of getting mad, instead of being like, Can you believe that fucking guy, dude? Oh, God, another obese woman who's just a living void who drives the way she looks. Oh my god, this person driving the wrong way down the road almost hit me. Oh, you motherfucker. You know, you can't... It goes back to what I was saying last night, like taking things in. I don't take it in. I observe. But, like, I almost get giddy when I notice this now. And it's not all the time. Even though I, I, I always mention it on this show where I'm like, oh, it was another one of those days when everything was against the grain and dissonant and red lights the whole way home. Every communication felt like it was wanting... Every communication was a miscommunication. You know, it's one of the miscommunication. Uh, i got to finish my words. But no, even though it was one of those days, and I'll bring those up on here because sometimes you do just got to talk about it. It's more just fascinating to me at this point. It doesn't even make me mad or frustrated. I just go, oh, I've got to watch everything for this. This entire drive, I can't relax. I can laugh, though, and just look at the insanity of all these people driving their mechs. Driving their robots. And cars are more... They have computers in them now. So they are robots. And they drive themselves. 
And I was just like, oh, yeah, I've got to keep an eye out for everything today. And, uh, yeah, whether it was just somebody driving. I mean, this truck was, like, practically driving in the middle of two lanes. I was like, i got to watch him. That person behind me might not be paying attention and they're going too fast. The person in front of me looks like they're riding their brakes. This is, I'm locked in here. And there's just potential disaster all around me. But when I notice this now, I just I get kind of excited because I'm just like, oh, it's it's one of those days where I have to watch for everything. And uh, just to segue a little bit too, it's you know this has been ongoing, but it's like every single person I know who's around my age is in crisis. Every friend I have when I talk to them with few exceptions, is in some kind of crisis. And they're different types of people. They're, they're, different. they're doing different things with their lives. But everyone seems to have a personal crisis, and they seem to need something right now. And that's been me most of this year. This year has so far been very much a dark night of the soul. And, uh, you know, everybody I talk to is experiencing that as well, which makes things very difficult. But the thing about that, and I I know this from my own personal experience, is that it's great to have people to talk to about your problems. It's great to have a sounding board. It's great to know people who could potentially give you advice. It's great to just get it out. You know, talking last night about not just taking things in, but how we have this need to send things out, to express ourselves, to be that crying baby. Baby just crying in the crib. It's the only way to express what you're feeling. I realize, though, when I do that, it's nice to know they're there and I don't take it for granted that there are people who will listen to me talk about my problems. I do not take it for granted. I appreciate it. Sometimes it is very helpful. But more often than not, when I talk to somebody about my problems, I feel no resolution and I feel like I expected one. Not that I expected them to solve it. But it's almost like I expect talking about my problems to just help resolve them, and it doesn't do it. And I've noticed this from other people lately, because some people I know have been telling me about their issues, and I think that they, I think they're going through that same thing, where it's like, oh, if I talk to this person about this, if I if I tell them about that, if I get this off my chest. It's going to resolve my issues. And I kind of notice at the end of the conversation, it's not resolved for them because I can't solve their problems and they can't solve mine. You know, there are things we can do to help each other. Sometimes somebody does say that one golden thing. I mean, I always go back to the the time I was talking to Miles, God, I guess four years ago now. Jesus, I can't believe it was that long ago. But I was going through a bunch of shit talking to my buddy Miles And I said to him verbatim, I was like, I just can't believe I've made it this far and this long and I still have zero credibility. Whatever that means, who the fuck knows? It's just ego shit, I guess. But I remember he said, like, your path is just longer than most. And that actually did resolve that. That that was the most helpful thing somebody could have said in that exact moment. And it was spur of the moment and it was unpretentious. I wouldn't be able to say it the way he said it. But I was like, I just can't believe I've made it this long and far 
and I still feel like I have zero credibility. And he, he laughed at that. And then he said, well, your path is just longer than most. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what I needed to hear. And uh, maybe it's not even longer than most, but it's, it's exactly what I needed to hear in that moment. So sometimes the, somebody does say the right thing to you, but it's just an issue right now. And then the problem is when everybody is feeling that way, when everybody is in a rut, when everybody's in some form of crisis, there's no stability. It's like everybody's clawing. Everybody, you know, last night I mentioned the baby bird mouth. Or when you're at the edge of a, a city park that has a lake and the fish are used to being fed so they swim up and their mouths like are big and open and weird like baby birds. When everybody's going through a crisis, when everybody's hungry, when everybody's that hungry ghost, not to be confused with the ghost ship car driving without its headlights, but when everybody is that hungry ghost where they're hungry, but their their mouth is so small and their throat is so constricted, they can't actually swallow anything even if they get it. I think that's the idea behind the hungry ghost, which is that it's hungry, but it can't even eat the food that it's given. And that's kind of how everybody feels right now, everybody I know in one way or another. And so you don't want to bother other people and you don't want to be bothered. Like I woke up this morning and I had a bunch of text messages from people, which I, again, I don't take for granted. I do not take for granted the fact that people want to talk to me and want me in their life because I I sure do a hell of a lot to drive people away. But uh, I just couldn't even respond. And then finally I got like a little surge in the afternoon to respond to people, but it's one of those periods where you don't even have the energy to respond. And this is why those Zomers and millennials made templates where they, they made these templates a few years ago. And it really disturbed me where it was like a, a template you could save into your phone when somebody messages you about a problem. And it's like, hi, it's basically like a, an auto-generated email response where it's like, hi, I'm currently on vacation. I will get back to you as soon as I'm around. Like somebody created, it went viral, I believe, where somebody created these templates you could send to your friends when they contact you about a problem where it's like, hi, I'm currently not in emotional condition to help you with your problems. Try again later. And I was like, I would never send a template. Autocorrect is bad enough. I feel sick enough letting letting the device autocorrect my words and sending them to people I know because the words should come from me. Can't imagine sending a friend in crisis a template, but I understand why they created those. I hate it. And I would never send a friend a template telling them I can't be there for them. Like, if I'm going to tell a friend I'm, I'm not in condition to, to be there for them, it's not going to be a template. But uh, I understand it, though. Everybody understands it. Everybody understands why you would use something like that. 
But if you have to use that, I mean, you're far gone. Or you're surrounded by parasites. Anybody who encourages things like that. I mean, you know, there's because that kind of plays into the therapy industry. It plays into some of this stuff that I've been critical of before. And I'm not going to go into that today. <laughs> I'm not going to go into that again today. But it's like this pop therapy stuff. But what do you do when everybody seems to be going through their own personal crisis? Therefore, it's hard for them to be even be a listening ear to you. And it's, it's hard for uh, you to be a listening ear to them. It's what I always say about that suicide talk. Uh, whenever someone commits suicide, all of a sudden everybody's like, I'm always there if you need me. I'm always there. Like there was an art. I mentioned this before, but there was an art. Uh, a company I worked for published an article that qu- it quoted somebody who said it was after Robin Williams committed suicide, which shocked the world. Shocked the world. Of course, it did. Shocked me. I got a message from my mom late at night, and it, all it said it's it's one of the most incredible text messages I've ever gotten in my life. It was a message from my mom at night. And all it said was Robin Williams committed suicide. That's all it said. I don't even know if there's punctuation. My mom, I just get a message from my mom out of nowhere. And all it says is Robin Williams committed suicide. I immediately copied it and I sent it to my friend Cameron. I just thought, I thought he would appreciate the same exact, like I, I wanted to, to pay it forward. You know, I wanted him to feel what it was like to receive that message. Because it blew my mind. It, it was I, I, I immediately laughed, not because Robin Williams killed himself, not at the fact that a man killed himself, especially a popular, beloved man like Robin Williams. It was just the simple fact that I received a message that said that. And I don't think that there was a I don't think that there could have been a more unexpected text message to receive from my mom so bluntly. Because my mom was not a blunt woman, very soft, very kind, you know, very up, uh, what's the term, like, uh, like there was like an upward momentum to everything she said. And, uh, but that's what's funny about having a parent like that, is my mom, she was so, uh, I'm forgetting the word I'm looking for, upbeat. You know, she had such an upbeat tone in the way she communicated all the time. And it was who she was. It was who she truly was. She was an upbeat person. But sometimes through text message and stuff, sometimes it sounded like her. But but that's a great example where there, it was so blunt. It was like nothing my mom would ever send me ever. Just a blunt message. It was like a club. Just like a big blunt club hit me in the head. She said... Robin Williams committed suicide and I had no real emotional reaction like I had no beef with Robin Williams wasn't a big fan wasn't not a fan like I grew up seeing his stuff you know I had no not really any strong feeling one way or another about Robin Williams but it was it was just the bluntness of it I just laughed out loud because I was just like this is like she could have said 
you know, Russia launched a nuke. Russia launched a nuke. She could have said aliens landed. She could have said all of the toilets in the world are clogged at the same time and there's no explanation as to why. She could have told me something really out there and weird. Nothing would have been more unexpected than a message that just said Robin Williams committed suicide. But after that, like, there was this huge, you know, and of course this happened, but, like, everybody was all talking about suicide awareness, and uh, you heard a lot of people say, like, the sad clown. It's just the, it's, it's the story of the sad clown. And uh, the other thing people were saying, though, was, like, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm here. It's like, why don't you say that when all the other people commit suicide? I, I know why. I know why Robin Williams brought out a response in people because it was Robin Williams and he's a celebrity and not only that, he's he's a, a goofy comedy, you know, he's a guy everyone grew up with who's my age. But everybody, you know, it, it brought out people being like, oh, you know, if you ever need somebody to talk to, I'm here. But this article that the company I worked for published, it quoted a guy who was like, if anybody needs an ear, I've got two of them. There was even a swear word in it, which is weird. It was like trying to be a tough guy who's also sensitive. And it was like, if anybody needs a fucking ear, I've got two of them. The article quoted this guy, like my, the, the, the author's friend. Not, I'm not against the sentiment. I'm glad that people are willing to be there for people. But a lot of that's empty too. And the sort of person who will say to you like, hey, if you ever have in dark thoughts, I'm I'm, I've got two ears for you. I, I got two of them for you. You know, anybody who says that, I feel like that's usually the same person who when you do contact them, they're going to be like, eh. Hi, I'm currently dealing with my own problems. Try again later. It's the same person to me because those are the people who talk in slogans and catchphrases and sound bites. Because that's kind of what that is. And the reality is, like, when I've felt suicidal and I've talked to somebody, it's great to have somebody to talk to. But at the same time, it's like, it, it doesn't feel like it really resolves your issues. You do have to go inward a lot of the time. Sometimes it's for a practical thing. You know, so a lot of people kill themselves because of some practical thing, financial, something really bad happened, they got cheated on, whatever it is. You know, there's that situation, but there's also just this gen- the general malaise, you know, that, that people go through that leads them into dark places. And it probably does make a difference to know that somebody is there. But when you're feeling that way, it's like you don't even want to call them. You don't even want to call them and you don't even feel like it'll do anything for you. But you never know. I'm not pro-suicide, of course. I'm just saying that it's it's a it's a swamp that we exist in when it comes to this stuff. And when everybody's kind of feeling that way, when everybody's kind of miserable, when everybody's kind of losing their sense of meaning, because that's what I'm getting. You know, people, they really don't have a strong sense of meaning at all. And it's hard to find that. And recent years have shaken that. It's shaken people's sense of meaning, and you see it. It's why so many people are just human voids driving around in these cars, 
not even aware of their surroundings, don't even know if their headlights are on or not, don't even realize they're driving the wrong way down the road. And uh, I ran out of my vape that my friend gave me, and I'm not going to buy another one. Just have to mention that. Needed to announce it. It's like I was talking last night about like announcing when you're quitting or announcing when you're not doing something. I had to make my little announcement. Couldn't resist. But uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't mean for this to go on about just how shitty everybody's doing or seems to be doing. The sense of meaning, though, is what I was getting at, which is. It's hard to find that. And I think a lot of people's sense of meaning was shaken because they got a sense of meaning through their routine. And I think everybody does. I think I do as well. I think I get my sense of meaning from a routine as well. But for some people, that routine was, you know, movies, restaurants, food, the way life felt before. And they don't really have that now. Even though you can do those things, I don't think they feel like it's really theirs. I don't think it feels the same. And this isn't just a coronavi thing. I think this has been building and building, and coronavi pushed it a little further over the edge. But I don't want to give coronavi too much credit, although it played a role. I think this is the way things have been going. But what I noticed, too, is where people get their meaning... Where rather where people who excuse me, where people who don't have meaning seem to get their meaning is by taking a side on every single thing that is going on. A good example is this Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. I don't know anything about it. I have not sought out any information on it. I've heard things, you know, that's the interesting thing is when you purposely avoid something or Maybe not even purposely avoid, but you just don't pay any attention to it. Like, there is nothing in the world that I could care less about than something like a celebrity couple's divorce and problems and abuse and all that. There's just, it's just not something I'm interested in most of the time. Mel Gibson, that was interesting. I will bury you in the Rose Garden. That was bizarre, but... um, I will bury you in the rose garden. That was interesting. This other thing, though, it's interesting, though, when, you, when you're when you not paying attention, how much you still take in, how much you still hear. Avoiding this Johnny Depp thing, it's amazing how many little things have reached me. But what, what I'm getting at by bringing it up, I have nothing to say about it. Nothing at all, because I don't know anything about it. But there are sides to be taken... And those sides are social and political in nature because that has infected everything. Where like if somebody out there says like, I'm on Johnny's side, I'm on on the side of Johnny. Hey, you know, I'm on Johnny's side. Chances are you can read into that, like what type of person that is, what their other beliefs are. Same for this Amber Heard. Like someone's like, "I, I stand with Amber Heard. I stand with Amber Heard. What are you saying? I stand with Amber Heard. I stand with, I stand with Amber Heard. You stand with, you stand with Amber Heard? 
You stand with some kind of bird? You heard a bird? You heard a bird? I stand with a bird. I stand with a bird. It almost sounded like the real thing right there. But, you know, people who are saying that, it's like you can tell, you can read into that too and like kind of tell what that person's other beliefs are. That's something I've mentioned many times on here about all of these issues. And they're not even necessarily social or political issues unto themselves. But it's like everything is hyperlinked together to where if you pay attention to this shit and you're like, I stand with Johnny Depp, someone's going to be like, okay, so you're a misogynist, you're probably Republican, you're probably this. And it's like if someone's like, I stand with Amber Heard, it's it's like, oh, well, you you believe in feminism and, you know, taking the woman's side and, you know, you probably believe this about Black Lives Matter and you probably believe this about who the president should be and, you know, you probably are also a fan of Ukraine and um, you're on the Ukrainian side. You know, it's like there are all these things. And, of course, it, this is a weird example, but but it's still it's important to bring up weird examples because this still manages to be hyperlinked to all those things. Another example is the the Willie Boy Smith slap thing that everybody was obsessed with for a week. Again, one of those things where even if you're not paying attention you're taking it in. It's reaching you. Like that happens when I decide, oh, I'm not going to look at the news or read about any current events. They still reach you. They still get there. They still manage to find you. They're a very effective virus. It finds you. But a good example of that is, is like the Willie Smith Chris Rock thing where again people chose a side they chose a side and then they extrapolated it out to all of these social and political issues where initially because I paid a little attention I did pay a little of attention to the way people were responding to that because to me it, 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 it was just phenomenal it's, it's truly like a phenomenon to witness the way people's brains work these days, where it was like, okay, like a celebrity slapped a comedian for saying something about his wife. So people have an opinion about whether it's appropriate to hit somebody on stage, whether it's appropriate to hit a comedian for a joke, whether it's appropriate to make a joke about somebody's hair issue. You know, those are more practical issues. But it it was only a matter of hours or barely any time at all before it was you can't have an opinion on what happened because it's a black thing it's black people's business you can't have an opinion on that if you're not black but then if you say it's a black thing it's black business it's like well you're a racist for thinking that that's some kind of black thing to get up there and hit another person for saying something you know so it's like this lose lose and that's what so many of these things are designed to do they're lose 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 they're all designed to be lose lose you don't there's no way to to win and so you lose the second you even think about it. Like I'm losing even talking about it right now. I'm in part, I'm I'm lose losing. Lose losing. But I do think it's important to mention just the fact that like even something like that. 
even something like a celebrity slapping another celebrity, whether it was real, whether it was fake, whether no matter no matter what your take on something like that is, if you even are if you're unfortunate enough to have a take on it. What's crazy though is just that there's a side to be taken and that that then immediately gets attached to racial issues. It imme- it immediately gets attached to social issues. It immediately plays into the censorship debate. Like, should a comedian be allowed to make a joke about someone's wife's alopecia? You know, it's like it gets into this whole thing. And, you, you know, you see that with the Ukraine thing where it's like, take a side. You better take a side. And the side that somebody takes, you can predict what side they're going to take on any number of unrelated issues. Someone's opinion on... Chris Rock and Will Smith can tell you something about how they feel about abortion, about Eastern European warfare. It can tell you what their opinion is on a messy, abusive divorce between two other actors. It it can tell you their stance on censorship, free speech, who they voted for, what they say at dinner parties. It's crazy. There's a side to be taken on everything. When there's a tragedy, there's a side to be taken. And the side that somebody takes, you know, there's a decent probability that will tell you which side they take on any number of other issues. And it's almost always black and white. No wonder people aren't doing well. Oh, I haven't I haven't mentioned gas prices in a while. No, they're almost it's almost five dollars here. It went up like forty cents because it shot up a ton a couple months ago, two and a half months ago. The gas prices shot up a ton, and then uh, they kind of hovered around uh, four dollars forty nine cents. I think it was. They kind of stabilized around there. It go up a few cents, down a few cents. I noticed today it was like 489, so somehow they shot up. It doesn't feel like there's relief anytime soon, and you can't look for the world to give you relief. In the same way that you can't necessarily look to your friends. You you should go to your friends if you have a serious enough problem. You should talk to people. You should maintain relationships with people. But you can't expect relief from them. You can't expect expect your friends to relieve. You, you can't expect relief from your friends. You can't expect relief from the world. You know that relief does have to come from you if you're going to find it at all. And chances are, when you give up trying to be relieved, is when you feel relief. So, uh, I'm not looking for it out in the world. And most things are mundane. Most things are pretty simple. But it's almost as if, you know, I I wish that there was a visualization. I wish there was some way to visualize all of the psychic exposure people are experiencing at any given time 
especially with the use of technology. Like it would be very interesting to me, for example, like when you see somebody on their phone typing away or something, it'd be very interesting to know, like to see like little lasers coming out of that person's brain to see where that activity is taking them psychically. This might be getting out into the weeds. I don't know if I'm explaining this properly. But I guess it would be interesting to see like how many, to have like little lasers emanating from a person's skull that show you like how their psychic activity is crossing over and overlapping with other people's psychic activity. Like how many people are paying attention or thinking about or expressing an opinion on their phone about this thing that's going on? Because like I heard there was a shoot, there were two shootings, which always gets me. There's always two. There's always a couple shootings back to back. I don't like the term copycat. I avoid using the term copycat, but it is always interesting to me because that's got to be the most pathetic feeling in the world to be like, oh, somebody just shot somebody. I'm going to do it too. You know, it's like the getting, you know, taking in that person's backwash. But once again, though, with tragedies and things like you take a side, like you got to take a side on the, the mass shooting. And you got to extrapolate it out to all sorts of other things going on. But I barely paid attention to it because I'm not that interested. I'm interested in Columbine, as I've said before. Columbine. 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 Oh, yeah, that's good. Hey, hey, I'm interested in Columbine. Unintentional fun there. Columbine. I went to Columbine. Uh, I like I like weeding about Columbine. 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 But I, I like reading about Columbine sometimes because it, it, to me it's such a time capsule. It captures such a period in history where the internet was new and these kids, Eric and Dylan as they're called, as their parents named them, they were on the cutting edge of this new technology, like Eric Harris was making websites, he was making his own like primitive custom doom levels, mods, as they call them. And uh, so they were, and they were, they were into this like, kind of a, they were into a weird uh, subset of mainstream music because like what they were into was mainstream like even kmfdm which they were obsessed with and ramstein like that was still mainstream music that was still popular music it was widely available widely accessible you can you could go into sam goody at the mall and you're guaranteed that you'll walk out with a ramstein album if, if it's there or it will be there that's the point like so these kids they were they were into like dark music they were into kind of industrial darker music but nothing that niche but i never knew anybody who was into that stuff like there were no kids in my school that i know who were really even into that stuff yet it was somehow popular it st- it somehow was like on MTV and had fans and things like that so they were into this weird kind of subset cuz like i wasn't interested in that stuff like even when I, you know, getting into darker music myself, it was like, I never really, I never hit that speed bump of like KMFDM and Ramstein and all that. That was, that wasn't a speed bump that I hit, 
in my own interest in dark music. But uh, it's just this time capsule of, you know, early digital technology of, you know, you really do get a feeling for what the suburbs were like at that time from Columbine. But beyond Columbine, I have very little interest, almost none, in any mass shooting that happened afterward. And so when another one happens, I note it. And I, again, though, like, it's a good example of, like, not taking anything in. I, I've, I haven't clicked on a single link. I haven't read a single article. I've done no research into these latest mass shootings, yet I still know a little bit about them because there's just this osmosis that takes place where you can't avoid it. You'd have to go live in a cabin in the middle of the woods with no technology and even then, a little bird, a literal little bird is probably going to go perch in your window and say, shooting in Buffalo, white supremacist, but he's also a leftist. And because uh, that's, that's what I heard. I heard that like he wrote a white supremacist manifesto, but he, he's like a, a leftist or something. And he was like a pro mask. Like I, I somehow know that. If that's even true, but I, I somehow hear these rumors and things about this, despite consciously paying no attention and not even not even consciously, just having no interest, just not even thinking about it. But I did think about it today, you know, and, and I want to go back to that idea of like seeing like where people's psychic energy is going by having like lasers emanate out of their head. And seeing where, like, the different directions those lasers are going and, like, how many people have that laser going in that direction and it's crossing over with this person's lasers. We're deep in the weeds. We're, we're in uh, the laser weeds here. And because uh, I was thinking about that today, like, when I was out running errands and people were driving the wrong way down the street, driving very poorly. I was like, how many of these people are thinking about the mass shootings? How many of these people are thinking of this? How many of these people are just caught up in their own bullshit? Bullshit. I must, I must put a weird inflection on bullshit. Bullshit. How many of these people are caught up in their own bullshit? How many of these people are caught up in their own bullshit? I stay with Amber Heard. I stay with Amber Heard. Um... It probably that's that's probably it more than anything. There's probably more people caught up in their own bullshit than anything else, or their immediate family and friends bullshit is probably part of that too. Hard to separate it sometimes. Hard to separate your own bullshit from your family and friends bullshit. Uh, but I'd like to see that laser too. I'd like to see that laser, the inward laser. I'd like to see the inward laser that shows how many people as they're going about their day at the store on the road are caught up in their own bullshit too. I want to see where the outward lasers are going, but I want to see where the inward lasers are going too. I want to see a lot of lasers, guys. I want to, I want to see these STEM folks. These STEM folks, they, they, they think that they've done everything. They think they can do everything. Show me the lasers. Show me where everybody's lasers are going, where the psychic lasers are going. Deep in the laser weeds here. Weeds made of lasers. But I'd like to know, like, how many people are caught up. Like, because I've thought about that before, too. Like, when you see somebody on their phone, you're just like, oh, they're checking their phone. 
oh, these people, they can't, they can't go two seconds without checking their phone. Look at them. I'm, I don't think that way about it. I want to know what they're checking. I want to know how many people are arguing with somebody on like some hellhole like Reddit. I want to know how many people are getting mad at something they're reading on Twitter. I want to know how many people are on, uh, I was going to say OkCupid, but it's all Tinder to me, baby. As I've said before, I don't care at this point if you're on Bumble, Hinge, this or that. It's all Tinder to me. Just like every soda in the U.S. South is a Coke, they call every soda, doesn't matter if it's ginger ale or 7-Up, they call it Coke. Give me a Coke, what kind? Ginger ale. Give me a Coke, what kind? 7-Up. It's all Coke to them. These dating apps, they're all tender to me. You could tell me you're on Bumble. Well, what I hear in my head is Tinder. I want to know how many people are doing that. That's interesting information. If you see someone at a bus stop and they're doing something on their phone, that's very interesting to me that they're sitting there looking for a mate. If they're sitting there arguing with somebody, well, that's good to know. And that colors everything around them. That actually, it is psychic because it impacts everything around them. Like if somebody's like flipping through Tinder, flipping around on Tinder, flipping around like a fish out of water on concrete. Why concrete? I don't know. But uh, someone who's flipping around like that on Tinder, that desperation emanates from them. Desperation is emanating from them. The lasers that would emanate from them if STEM engineers could get off their ass and actually do something that would impress me, those lasers would, would be going in desperate directions. The same is true if someone's like deliberately reading stuff on their phone that is going to make them mad, which a lot of people do, which a lot of people do. A lot of people seek things out. Sometimes I do it. It's been a while since I've done it, but sometimes I deliberately seek things out that are going to upset me and make me mad. I get into a hole and I do that. And I'll, and some people do it all the time. I had this experience that was kind of an epiphany for me. I've mentioned it on here before, but it, it was a moment. It was a parable. And it was when my friend bartended at this high-end fancy wine bar. And I used to go in all the time. And then we'd hang out afterward. I'd go in while she was on her shift, at the very end of her shift, have a drink. And we'd go hang out afterward. And uh, I got to know everybody who worked there and kind of became friendly with them. You know, it was nice. It was a good crowd of people. Like I generally, you know, for the most part, it was a good crowd of people. Except for the gay men who sexually harassed me, truly sexually harassed me. I I don't put that lightly. I don't just... If a gay man talks to me, I don't accuse him of sexually harassing me. This guy truly, constantly said things he shouldn't be saying to me. But the thing is, he had no power. I would just look at him. But anyway, aside from him, aside from that damaged soul, uh, I got to know everybody who worked there and liked him enough and everything, but... Uh, the owner of the place was a really nice woman. She was really nice, had a good heart from my limited experience with her. But she would sometimes hang out there too at the end of the night when I was there, 
And something I, she would do, and there was one night in particular where she was just sitting at the bar and she was just going through the news on her phone. And like a town crier, she was reading us all of this bad news. And it, it was like textbook bad news. It was like uh, a plane crashed in Africa and it landed on an orphanage and killed a, a billion, billion kids and... It was like, oh, my God, there was a a guy walking his dog in San Francisco and a homeless guy jumped out of a bush and he he slit his throat and fed it to his dog. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it was just like she was just going through the bad news section, which is to say any news section and just just reading us all this bad shit that was going on. And it was it was it sucked. Like, I was sitting there, and I was just like, she doesn't even know what she's doing. Like, she just thinks she's being informative or something, or she's just kind of trying to, like, provoke conversation. But she she wasn't even trying to provoke conversation, because it wasn't like she was like, oh, a plane crashed into an orphanage, and everybody died. It killed a thousand kids. It wasn't like, what do you think about that? It was just like, on to the next news bulletin. And I was like, it wasn't even bringing me down because that shit doesn't really impact me unless it involves an animal. Like unless she was telling me something really horrific that somebody did to an animal, it wouldn't really affect me. But she was just going from story to story. And I was like, oh, she she's doing this totally unconsciously. She doesn't realize like this is a habit to her. She just like scrolls through her phone and reads off the bad news to everybody around her like they should know it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I hope that I don't do that. I'm probably doing it today. I'm probably doing it in this episode. A car was driving down the wrong way down the street. And now did you hear about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? You hear about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? You hear about uh, this? You hear about... uh, Oh, and then there was a guy, you know, I probably do that. It's, it's hard not to. I mean, as, as a fallen creature, it's hard not to do this one way or another. Where you're sharing the bad news. Because, I mean, to be fair, too, it's not like I would be that interested in a a news break about good news either. I mean, that's the joke people always make about the the 11 o'clock news where it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, if they just shared good news, nobody would watch it. But that's probably true. Like, if this lady had just been reading off good news, like, oh, today, like, a, a 12-year-old girl and her sister visited a, a dementia care facility and gave everybody flowers they picked from their garden that they planted themselves. And, oh, today, uh, you know, uh, John Cena visited... Uh, you know, cancer patients and uh, gave them all a billion, billion dollars, gave them all his money. You know, it's like you wouldn't even care. You'd be like, oh, that's great. But you'd just be like, I don't, who cares? But it wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't like, it's not like it would suck. You'd just be like, eh, some good news, I guess. But when someone's just reading off bad news, it's like you're poisoning everybody around you. Like they didn't consent to you doing that. You want to talk about consent? The people that's sitting at this bar with you didn't consent to you just reading the bad news to them. 
what is this all about? What are you doing? And it was kind of an epiphany for me because like I realized that I do that in my own way. I used to call friends with bad news. Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear this? This person did something we don't like. You want to hear something that sucks? I mean, there's a time and a place to share things that suck. You got to do it sometimes. But it, it was weird watching this woman scroll through her phone with shark eyes, sipping a cocktail maybe, just finding different bad news to share. And, and you could tell it was habitual. You could tell it was unconscious. Enough about it. But still, it kind of blew my mind. Because I was just like, yeah, that's something that we as human beings do if we don't catch ourselves. She was kind of driving with her headlights off. You know, it was kind of the same. Like, like there was almost a void. Because it wasn't like she... It wasn't like there was anything personal about it. It wasn't like she was invested in any of it. She was just kind of drifting through the news headlines, finding different ones to share. Anyhow, about an hour in. Hour in. About an hour in. What else we got here? I don't know. (sighs) Yeah, I'm just a... uh, Maybe I'm a void these days, you know, that's just, uh, sometimes I go through life feeling that way. Sometimes I go out, run errands, and I'm like, I hope nobody looks at my face while I'm here. I hope nobody looks me in the eyes while I'm here, because they are going to see nothing. They're going to look me in the face, and they're going to see nothing. And that's not a pretty thing on me. Nothing doesn't look good when I wear it, <laughs> and I'm not talking about uh, nudity, I'm, I'm talking about my eyes, because sometimes I'll look in the mirror when I'm feeling that way, and I'm like, ooh, I don't like looking in my eyes and seeing nothing, but you know what, sometimes it feels good, it might not look good, but it feels good sometimes. Like you, you go through life because that's kind of when you are in a meditative state in life. Like that, that's kind of when you're in a living meditative state. And the key is to maintain awareness. That's like what they say about actual sitting meditation where the key is to maintain awareness. Not think hard about it. But you don't want to lose awareness, otherwise you're basically sleeping. I, you can do that, and I used to do it. I was really into that when I, start, when I first developed a meditation practice. I learned that not on command, not on demand, on command, on demand, that I could enter a state of non-awareness without being asleep. And I've talked about that on here before because you almost experience, uh, it's almost like experiencing dreams While you're still awake, you have visualizations, words come to you, phrases come to you. I kept a journal of it for a while, but then I was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to keep a meditation journal. And that's kind of, it's kind of spiritual materialism being attached to what comes to you in a state of meditation. But when I was in that state, I mean, those were some of my, that was a really wonderful time because I just enjoyed it. 
I just enjoyed the fact that that was happening, that I was having visuals in my head that I had no, that I wasn't consciously conjuring. And phrases would come to me, and sometimes they were profound, sometimes they were nonsense. But I was awake, but experiencing non-awareness. But I know I've listened to meditation instructors who tell you not to lean into that. The idea is to maintain your awareness. And that's typically what I do now. It's very rare for me these days to to tap into that state of, of wakeful non-awareness. I love it. It's a lot of fun. And I'm not sure why they even advise against it. You know, it's what they call going to the movies. I've heard Buddhist teachers refer to it as going to the movies. Going to the light show, I've also heard. That might be Jason Louvre. But I've heard somebody, I've heard it referred to both ways. Go into the movies and go into the light show. And it's in reference to those sorts of visualizations and sensations that you experience in a state of meditation, deep meditation. And what's interesting is they all advise not to, not to get too into that, not to become too attached to that. I think you can have fun with it. But you should know that it's also just another part of the illusion, which I think is why they advise you not to take too much stock or not to go for that, not to strive for that, because it also becomes a form of entertainment, hence movies, hence light show. And I discovered that myself when I was first able to do that. I think this is 2018. Yeah, this would have been 2018 that I first started to kind of experience this. And I started to want that every time I meditated. Rather than approaching meditation as this is my practice, I'm going to do what I can to reach that meditative state. I started to like feel disappointed and wanty when it came to those sorts of like they they felt like, oh, those are the real fun spiritual experiences, those sensations, those visuals. But they're illusions. And you don't want to see meditation as a form of entertainment. I mean, I don't think it's a crime if meditation is your preferred form of entertainment. It's kind of incredible. But it's not something you want to strive for or be attached to or expect. And so in waking life, as you go about your day and you find that you're in something akin to a meditative state, that can go one of two different ways. You can completely shut off and just become a void, at which point you become a problem. Like on those days where I feel like I'm Mr. Nothing going about my day, I feel like that's a reference to something, but I'm just going to claim it. On the days where I feel like I'm Mr. Nothing and I'm going through the store shopping and nothing is going on in my brain, which is rare for me, or at least it used to be. I don't want to lose awareness because driving, that's an ideal state for driving, actually, if you can maintain awareness. But if you're driving and and you're in an almost meditative state and you suddenly lose that awareness of everything going on around you, that's when you become the ghost ship with your headlights off weaving through the Canadian mountains like a, like a stray bowling ball. 
that's when you're driving and you don't realize that you're going 25 miles an hour on a 40 mile an hour road that feels like a 50. That's when you're like when you're in an almost meditative state, but you're not aware of your surroundings. That's when you're driving the wrong way down the road in the parking lot and you stare at the person who's driving the right way like he's weird. And I am. But not because of that. Not because that. And so the goal is to like, when you feel like you're in that meditative state, that's actually a very great place to be in when you're interacting with the world. Because it means you're not going to react. It means you're not going to be caught up. It means your psychic lasers aren't going off in a bunch of different directions. And it also means that your psychic laser isn't going deep inward and you're not caught up in your own bullshit either. But you have to stay aware. And that's why I think this is part of a practice. This is why it's part of a discipline. Because that's not easy to do. To zone out. While still being aware of everything. And being in full control. Because anybody can zone out. And you become a danger sometimes when you do that. But if you're driving and you're able to zone out without losing awareness of everything going on around you and what you should be doing, what the speed limit sign says. That's an ideal state, and you can't have that all the time, but that's a pretty ideal state to be in. You're not sending much out there, and you're not taking much in. And, uh, you know, there are certain situations, this is a little side note, but I feel like I've, I've never actually talked about this somehow. With all the repetition, with all the shit that I just say over and over again, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, but waiting in line. You know, it's just a, it, it's actually a good thing that we wait in line so much because it means there's some sense of order. It's a good thing that we wait in line. Like... Because what's the alternative? Like, we all hate waiting in a long line. And we almost don't want to believe it's a line. Like, I was at Target a, about a month ago, and they have the worst system in the world. I don't know when that happened. I never remember having any problems at Target. doesn't seem to matter what time of day I go to Target, and I really like Target. It's my favorite of that type of store. It's my favorite of that sort of like everything sort of just general American clothes, food, everything. I've always liked Target. But something's gone haywire, at least at this one with checkout, where you're guaranteed every time you go, like they'll, they'll only have two cashiers working and the self-checkout line is like 20 people deep every time you go the two cashiers who are working 20 people deep, 20 people deep. And uh, it's just, so you're going to wait a really long time every time you go. I'm not sure why that is. And I've no, it's become noticeably worse. But I noticed with the self-checkout line, and like what's the point in a self-checkout line if you have to wait a fucking million years? But, uh, and I hate those anyway. I hate self-checkout. But, uh, 
I've noticed that this this phenomenon where like when there's a really long line and it's obviously a line, like these, this clearly isn't a long straight line of people just waiting around for the hell of it. Oh, we all just decided to stand here in a line just because we feel like doing this at Target today. But without fail, there's always people who walk up to the line and they go, is this the line? Oh, like they say it hoping the person's going to go, no. No, we're here for another reason. You can tell they ask it because like they don't want to wait in a long line. So they're really hoping that like this is an illusion or a there's some other explanation for why all these people are standing in a straight line. But they go, is this the line? It happened to me at a beach party. There were, I was on ecstasy or Molly. I've taken that just a few times in my life years ago. I was on Molly and we just a small group of friends and I were at this beach party in Seattle and had a beautiful time. People were lighting off like paper lanterns. We had a we had a boombox, beer. We were on Molly, you know, it was just a really a beautiful like nice spring night on the beach. But there was only one bathroom and it was tiny and the beach was packed. And so and and so there's just this huge line and it was the same thing where like when you're waiting in that line without fail like five people every time you were waiting in that line you saw like five different guys walk up and go is this the line and when someone was like yeah they go oh and it's funny that we do that it's like we want i don't i don't know why i told that whole story about the beach but it was just like i was on ecstasy or molly or whatever the fuck that stuff mdma and uh I was hyper aware. It was interesting because I felt really good. But I felt like I was totally like removed. I just felt like I was just in total observation mode. And so it was really interesting to see people's behavior in that mindset because like I I felt no ill will toward people. And uh, like waiting in a line like that, it was interesting because it's like people see a long line and there's this part of them that's just like, I'm going to test to see if this line is real. I'm going to ask, is this, uh, is this the line and be disappointed when I find out it is. But anyway, you know, it's, it's a good thing that we have to wait in lines because the alternative is a free for all and a free for all means fighting. It's black Friday. It's people trampling each other. It's it's them getting into serious fights. I mean, we already get into enough fights with lines as it is. Oh, you cut in front of me or you did this. You got too close to me. You're crowding me. Like there's already enough problems with lines. But if you don't have lines, well, it's going to be a, a violent free-for-all. So it's a good thing. Like anytime you're waiting in line, remind yourself, this is order. Like some friends and I had to go into a club years back in L.A. And they frisked everybody. And that's happened to me like outside of airports and shit. Like I've almost never been frisked. Like I don't go to places where they frisk you. But this was like a hip hop nightclub. Something else was going on there. We weren't there for hip hop. There was something else happening there. But we everybody had to be frisked going in. And everybody I was with and everybody around me, even people I didn't know, all seemed to be really upset. And it is invasive and stuff, but I was like, you know, this is order. Like, this is this is a system. 
they probably frisked people for weapons for good reason at this rap club. And, you know, it's, it's probably for the best because, you know, what if there's a shooting in there tonight and they didn't frisk people, whatever, you know, like I don't, I don't like people regulating shit or controlling people, but they probably frisk you for a good reason. And it's like with waiting in line, like you can tell yourself that like, hey, this is, this is a system and the alternative is worse. And it's a good thing that people still follow this system and believe in waiting in lines. It wouldn't surprise me if in a year people aren't even waiting in line anymore based on, the, based on how rapidly things are deteriorating. It wouldn't even surprise me if lines are going to be a thing of the past soon. So appreciate them while they're still here. But don't wait in a long line if you don't have to. If you have to, just be like, this sucks. I, I'm basically in a waiting room. But don't do it unnecessarily. And I noticed this with people who, you know, there's a Burger King, a Burger King. There's a Burger King I see, and there's always this long line going into it. And it's like, those people would be able to pull into the parking lot, go in and get their food so much faster. And they wouldn't have to wait in that line. There's a drive through Starbucks by my house, too, and that one's the worst of all. And I've been with people before where they're like, uh, my mom used to do this because, you know, it's near her house that, that I'm living in now. And, you know, I, you know, my mom's wonderful, but, you know, she she was, you know, she, she's dead. But uh, no, my mom, you know, the most wonderful person. But like, if she and I would get lunch or something or, or do something together, She'd be like, oh, do you want to go through the drive-thru and start? Or do you want to go get a, do you want a coffee or whatever? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. But then she'd want to wait in the line, like the drive-thru line at Starbucks. And I'd, and I'd always be a brat. That inner brat, doesn't matter how old you get, that inner brat would come out where I'd be like, oh, we could just go in. I could just go in. But she'd be like, no, we're, we don't have anything to do. Let's just uh, wait in line. And, and of course now, with my mom having passed away, I'm like, I would do anything in the world to wait in the Starbucks drive through line with my mom again. And I would not, I would not be a brat at all. Or maybe I would. <laughs> it's like the universe grants me one more time where it's like, we're going to let you be with your mom again one more time. And you're going to have to wait in the Starbucks drive through line, which is really long and slow, but you get to be with your mom again. And I'd be like, Oh man, that's amazing. I get to be with my mom again. I get, we get in line and immediately I turn into a brat again. And I'm like, oh God, do we have to, do we have to do this? It'd be funny how that works. Funny how that works. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's that sort of thing where it's like, if I can avoid waiting in that line and I'm the kind of person, like if I go in, like I've, I've gone into that target and I happen to love that target. I'll always love that target. I've been going to that target for 18 years. I have a, a, I'm fond of it. I went on a date there. There was a girl who moved to town and we met and kind of like kind of these little like unofficial dates. And I told her how much I love target and we were at a park. We're out in nature, like walking around, and 
we decided to go to Target. And so we, we didn't, I don't even think we bought anything. We just walked around Target. It was a date. So I, I like going to Target. Like if somebody suggests that I'll go with them, but there are times where I'll, I'll go into this Target and this line thing has gotten so out of hand that I'm like, oh, I need to get packing tape. I need to get this. I need, I need to get something that Target sells for a, a good deal. And I'll go in and I see the line and I go, nope, not worth it today. Some days, yeah, some days maybe, but not today. I can't do it today. If I'm going to get coffee, I'm going to park and I'm going to go into Starbucks. If I go to Starbucks, I don't, I don't really buy coffee out anymore, but I'm not going to wait in that line. There's no reason why I need to sit in that line. There are so many lines that I will have to wait in that why would I subject myself to a line I don't have to wait in? It's true for like restaurants and stuff too, where like I've dated people and known people who are like, oh, let's go, let's go out to eat. And like they, they insist on a place where you're going to have to wait a really long time. And I'm like, I guess I just don't like food enough to make this worth it. I know this is probably good. I mean, there was a period where, where, where like this girlfriend I had, we were together for a long time and, uh, because we were like a young couple, you know, just getting our, our feet wet in life as, as young adults, everybody was buying us Olive Garden gift cards. Like every holiday, just randomly, even if there was nothing going on, like one of our parents would be like, I got you an Olive Garden gift card. You know, they, they were always giving us Olive Garden gift cards. So as a result, which was nice, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not talking shit about that gesture. I'm not even talking shit about it. I actually have zero problem with Olive Garden itself. Like, you bring up Olive Garden, they're like, it's all frozen food that they microwave, and it sucks. And it's like, yeah, whatever. It's I could take it or leave it. I don't hate it. I don't love it. But we were, we were getting like, it's like Olive Garden gift cards were raining from the sky for about a year. And so we ended up going there a lot. But every time you went there, there was this huge wait. But strangely enough, part of the restaurant was like cordoned off. And I think they did that deliberately. Or maybe they didn't have enough staff. I don't know what it was. But you'd go to Olive Garden and like an entire section of the restaurant would be cordoned off and empty. And you'd be sitting there with a bunch of families because it's a big family place. You take your kids. There'd always be like a mom, a dad, and like, five kids just waiting to go to, into Olive Garden and it, it you know granted we had gift cards which is why we waited but I can't imagine going there without a gift card and being like yeah it's worth waiting 20 minutes or a half hour to get a table here I just can't imagine doing that to yourself liking Olive Garden that much I was in LA it's full of stories here, full of great, amazing stories. But I was in L.A. at one point, and like a, somebody was showing me some of the, the tourist attractions because I'd been to L.A. many times, but I'd never actually checked out, like, like aside from Disneyland in Anaheim, I'd never really checked out like what you're supposed to do in L.A. So I saw some cool museums, but like they were, we were talking about restaurants and stuff, and I met this old guy who was like, you got to go to Pink's. We met this random old guy and asked him like where where we we should go to eat and he's like you gotta go to Pink's, which is apparently a hot a famous hot dog place. It's called Pink's. P 
Pink's hot dogs, I guess. Makes me think of just pink hot dogs. But uh, we went to, we didn't go to Pink's. Because it turned out Pink's is this place where you wait an hour to get a hot dog. And I'm just like, why the fuck would you ever do that? I don't care how good Pink's hot dogs are. Why would I ever wait that long for a hot dog? Why would I ever do that? How could that, how could this hot dog be so good that I would wait that long? And maybe my life would be better if I had gotten it. Maybe like that would have been the thing that like puts everything in place. Like if I had taken the time to wait for Pink's hot dog, maybe while I was waiting, I would have met the girl of my dreams. Or, or, or I would have met some stranger who gave me an amazing business opportunity and now I'd be a billion billionaire. I'd be a billionaire now. If I'd, if I'd waited in line to get a Pink's hot dog, I'd be a billionaire right now. No, but the reality is like, why the fuck would you wait for that? And it continues to happen. You know, I'll just, I'll go in and I'm like, the line is too long. I can't subject myself to that. There's enough waiting as it is. You know, there's enough waiting as it is. And you can appreciate the times where you absolutely have to wait because it's a system that works and it prevents far worse things from happening, which is a stampede or a melee a fight but if I can avoid it I will but some people they go into their lives revolve around that I've known people like this where their lives revolve around like going and doing things that you have to wait for all the time like even Disneyland and stuff like that seeing the lines is insane it's like this is fun and I love Disneyland just like I love Target, I love Disneyland. Last time I went was 2000, it was October 2011. Don't see myself ever going back, but never say never. But uh, my sister and I went in 2011 as adults, just the two of us, and we got the fast passes, which meant that that's a good system right there. I don't know, maybe it's gone to shit since then, but at the time... You basically book an appointment for a ride, and it's free. Like, you've already paid the fare to go into the park. And uh, you, have, you have, like, the pass that allows you to do go on whatever rides you want. And so, like, you go up to this machine, and you just, like, press a button, and it gives you a ticket with a certain time on it. And so you come back at that time, and you get right on the ride. So you can go do whatever you want. You can go do whatever you want in the meantime, and you just have to come back at that time, and you'll get directly on the ride. And I'm like, that's a good system right there. Because waiting in line for a ride, it's like, those rides are over so much quicker than you even remember. As a kid, like, you're excited, and it's the, the whole experience. The ride is such a, it's so immersive. Like, you don't see the screws and... Uh, you know how fake it all is. I mean, I love it. Even though it's fake, I, I still love it. But as a kid, you feel like you're in a different world. You know, you don't see where the edges meet. 
You don't see the the rough spots or anything like that. So it's like you don't even really think about how quickly those rides go. But when you're an adult, it's like I waited 20 minutes in line for a ride that's over in like a minute. So the fast pass, that's a good system. But you get that feeling sometimes when you're waiting in line where you're like, why the hell am I doing this? How is this possibly worth it? Because there is so much wonderment everywhere else, too. You know, I mean, that's the thing, too, is when you're in that sort of line waiting mentality where you're constantly waiting in line for attractions or the the best hot dog or they got the best uh, dude, they got the best uh, chimichanga in town. You know, when you're when you're in that mindset of like always like waiting in line for the attraction You kind of start to think of other things as mundane, which they're not. You kind of, you know, you get into that empty state that I keep talking about in this episode where you kind of lose awareness of everything else. I mean, some of the most magical experiences that I've ever had were like going to the zoo as a kid and like wandering over to some like side area where there's no animals and there's just like a like a like a row of jungle looking plants and a bench and a maintenance door and i feel like i've entered a portal and i like zoos i don't know how i feel now i might you know it's always zoos are are very hit and not hit and miss they're kind of a catch-22 where, like, I love zoos. I love the way they look. I love the animals. I love the experience of going to the zoo. It's still sad you're looking at animals in cages. Even if they're, like, rescued or rehabilitated, which more and more zoos are like that. I mean, I can't even imagine going to, like, one of those old New York zoos where it's, like, a lion in a concrete cage. You know, I can't even imagine seeing that. But... uh you know, zoos are always kind of a catch-22 because they can depress you if you think too hard about it. But as a kid, like, I loved going and looking at all the animals. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not autistic where, like, I don't notice the animals and I just notice the maintenance door. But I would always have that experience where I would, like, kind of, like, walk off to the side. I'd be there with my family or friends or whatever it was, a field trip, And I'd kind of go off to the side and I'd notice like some little area where people don't spend a lot of time, but it's still accessible to the public. And there's like a row of bamboo plants and it's like the backside of the the reptile exhibit. And you can kind of sense, like you can kind of feel that like the jungle heat, the artificial jungle heat. And that smell that, you know, you walk into some of those, like the indoor exhibits have the most incredible smell. Like at the zoo that I went to in Seattle growing up, there was a a reptile exhibit. And everything is open air, except the snakes and the frogs. Everything is open air, except the snakes and the frogs. But like they would have these alligator exhibits that are open on top and there's like a little bit of water down below and there's like these minute these like tiny crocodiles and alligators and just like like the artificial heat 
and hum- the artificial humidity, that's what I'm looking for, and the smell in there was just incredible. It was artificial, but incredible. Like, I always appreciated that a lot, but if you went to, like, the backside of that building that's still publicly accessible, and there's, like, a locked maintenance door, and a water fountain, and a bench, you could still kind of smell it, and feel it, and you felt like you were truly in a completely different place, and so that's not the attraction. Like, nobody goes to the zoo for that. Nobody goes to the zoo to find some little, like, side path where there's no animals. And I didn't seek that out. But I've, I always found that when I ended up there, it felt perfect and magical. What is that? Has anybody else experienced that? It's not just the zoo. I experienced that at Disneyland, too. I actually had, I would consider this a spiritual experience. This, oh, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I think it was the last time that my mom and sister and I all went to Disneyland together. I've been a few times. I know that my family went before my parents were divorced when I was really like a baby. And then we went again at some point. But then there was this time when I was in like 7th or 8th grade where just randomly... You know, my family would go on about like one vacation a year, not always uh, by plane. Sometimes it'd be a road trip. You know, we'd we'd just go on an occasional vacation, you know, but I feel like there was one like core vacation a year, never to any resorts, never to anything like where you just sit around on a beach. We were, we, we did things. If my family went on vacation, it was to do things. It was to see things. It was to go to places. It was to learn things. Not educational, but just to like see see different parts of the, the country and things like that. And uh, yeah, I was probably about 13 or 14, and we went to Disneyland. And there was a part where it, it must have been Snow White's Castle or Cinderella's Castle or one of those places that you can go inside and it was sort of like the, the, the side pathway at the zoo experience where I found myself by myself for a second. And there was this like kind of hallway or room with like a tiled floor. Nobody else was in there. And softly playing on some sort of speakers that I couldn't see were that like Wish Upon a Star song, the old one. However that goes. It's from Pinocchio, I think. And it was just, I was looking at these historic photos of Disneyland and this song was playing, like whatever that is, like Wish Upon a Star, you know, you know the one, it's like, it's like this woman singing in a high pitched voice, very old timey, something, something's about a star. And it truly felt like I was taken to another place. It truly felt like I was in another world instantaneously. And I was all alone. I don't know where my mom and sister were. Like I said, I was a young teenager, maybe. So I was old enough to, to you know, be able to go do my own thing. And somehow nobody else was in this building. Somehow I was in this palace or castle in Disneyland and happened to go down a hallway and into a room that was very elegant and there were historic photos of Disneyland, maybe historic photos of people and Walt Disney and that song was just playing softly, ever so softly and 
chills just ran up and down through my body. And I wouldn't say it was an out-of-body experience. I would say it was like a deeply in-my-body experience. Like, But I, I was so detached and removed from everything. It was just, I wish that I could recreate that. But, you know, you can't. Who yeah, just thinking about that, I'm like, I, I still, every time I hear that song, it's like a flashback to that moment. I don't know what happened in that moment. And there was nothing like, there was no thought process going on. You know what I think it was? I think it's exactly what I'm talking about here when I say like, when you find yourself in a meditative state, but you're still aware of your surroundings. Like suddenly I was kind of removed from that normal churning thought process. And I was simply taking in this sur- it was surreal and i was detached from myself but i was still somehow so aware of everything around me the song the pictures the room i was in there was nothing like it they say you know disney's magical i don't know what the fuck they're doing now but uh, there was obviously some magic there at some point cuz i sensed it and you have to wonder, like, all the secret rooms. Here we are going on about Disneyland. But uh, you hear about all these secret rooms, and there's, like, a secret restaurant. There's a secret hotel. There's secret hotel rooms in Disneyland. Like, there's a secret hotel. I think it's in that building I was in. In that exact building I was in. Snow White's Castle, I guess it is. There is a secret set of hotel rooms that, like, I think contest winners and really rich people can stay there. And I've seen photos of it, and it's incredible. When I, when I looked at the photo of it, I was like, I want to be there. I want to be there. I want to be there. Uh, but uh, there, there's these, you always hear about these secrets. Like, my family ate at that restaurant that overlooks Pirates of the Caribbean. There's that like New Orleans Jambalaya Cafe, whatever the fuck it's called. Like there's some little cafe and you go in through a separate entrance, but it's got like this little patio that overlooks the start of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And you actually do kind of feel like you're out at night on a swamp or, you know, it's a very interesting experience. But you look up and you can see the seams. Like you look up and they have this fake night sky with a black ceiling, but you can see like a little patch of paint because when you're on the ride, you're not looking around at that stuff. You're not staring at the ceiling, but when you're in the restaurant, you're like looking around and taking it in and you'll see that little patch of paint that doesn't completely match. You'll see where like the, the hidden smoke alarm is, but it's still cool. It's still cool to see that. But it's all about those little moments like the where you are completely removed from all of these churning internal processes where your lasers are no longer going off all these different places. Your your laser is no longer going deep inside of you and like revealing everything that is bothering you. Where all of that just subsides. But you remain conscious, you remain aware, and you simply take things in. You simply see things as they are. And you still feel things when they happen. 
like that weird room in Disneyland I stumbled upon that gave me chills. You still feel things. You're not unfeeling. But getting into that state, it's the ideal state for waiting. It's the ideal state for driving. It's the ideal state for shopping. It's just a good place to be in. And it's hard to get there. But when you do, you know, it, it does make life more manageable. And it turns everything into an attraction in its own right. Because you start to see things in new ways. You start to see things in your own backyard differently than you would otherwise. Maybe this sounds like crazy talk. Well, guess what? It is. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see 